Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Secretary of State Michael Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, welcome back. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, good to be on the show. Hope you're doing well. I am, and you too. Uh, a story broke last night in The Atlantic, authored by Jeffrey Goldberg, saying that at the time of a canceled visit to the American Cemetery outside of Paris in 2018, President Trump made disparaging remarks about fallen soldiers buried there. Now, you were on that trip. Did you hear any such remark from the president? Never. Have you ever? You've been a lot with them, more than probably but, anyone uh, other than uh, than Vice President. Have you, has you ever heard him say anything like that about fallen soldiers. Those comments that, uh, and I, I have not read the article, but I've, I've seen the summaries would talk about him, suggest that he was saying something about soldiers being suckers or losers. I've, I've never heard that. Indeed, just the opposite. I've been around him in lots of settings where there were both uh, active duty military, guardsmen, reservists, uh, veterans. Um, this is a man who had the deepest respect for their service, and he always, uh, he always interacted with them in that way. He enjoys those times. He, he values those people. I don't understand, and I'll get to China and Iran in just a second, how, what has happened to the media? They ran a story, and I know Jeffrey Goldberg, fine reporter, with four unnamed sources by people who could say anything, Secretary Pompeo. What has happened to the media? You know, I, I'll leave that to others. Uh, my, my observation is that uh, in now almost 10 years in Washington, you know, I've, I've watched the deterioration of the standards. I've watched them begin to write things on secondhand information hearsay from unnamed sources. It's um, it's most unfortunate, uh, not not be, not because of anything that happens to any one of us as individuals, but it doesn't it doesn't do service to the American people. Now, Mr. Secretary, the last time I saw you was at the Nixon Library uh, talking about China, and it was a historic speech. But it was it followed about ten days the China Iran deal, and we didn't talk about that because we didn't quite yet know it. I'd like to ask you, how ominous is that partnership and contrast it with the United Arab Emirates-Israeli deal that was uh, put together by you and the president and uh, uh, the entire team, Jared, et cetera? So it is a, a stark contrast. Uh, to, if you watch what's happening, that's what, we, what I talked about when I was in Southern California that day. If you, if you look at the uh, Chinese Communist Party today and what General Secretary Xi is doing, you see whether it is uh, the actions internal to the country, the enormous human rights violations, the way they're treating the Uyghurs and even the Mongols in the north and the Tibetans. Uh, this is a gross deterioration in the basic human rights that uh, General Secretary Xi is providing for his own people. But then externally, I mean, you watch what's happening uh, between India and China today, where the Chinese Communist Party has moved more soldiers to that border, more forces to that border any time since the early 1960s. And uh, causing huge problems for other countries in Southeast Asia and their ability to simply uh, exercise their basic rights inside their own economic zones. This is a Chinese Communist Party that is authoritarian and has a deep desire for a hegemonic rule all around the world. Contrast that with uh, the United Arab Emirates that made a historic decision to recognize Israel and to uh, come to a common understanding about the real threat to the people of the Emirates which emanates certainly not from the state of Israel, but rather from the Islamic Republic of Iran. These are, these are big global shifts, and the things President Trump has been leaning on for the three and a half years I've been part of this administration. Now, I have to quote the New York Times again to you from today. Quote, some Pentagon and State Department officials are uncomfortable with the influence that the Emiratis wield within the White House and the National Security Council, and they are unhappy that the Emirati military officials received a classified briefing about the F-35 in July. What say you, Secretary Pompeo? 
you know, when a paragraph starts with some officials in an organization of the scale and size of the Department of Defense or the State Department, I am confident that there are some officials that believe just about everything, Hugh. <laughs> um, the, uh, so uh, are there people who, who don't think this is a good idea? I, I, I'm sure that's true. They're wrong. They're, they're fundamentally wrong. This is an enormous step forward for the security of, of people throughout the Middle East, certainly including the people of Israel and the United Arab Emirates. And I, I, it's worth noting, um, we think this is a strong signal as well to the Palestinians. Um, it, it's time for you to recognize uh, that there is a good outcome here, to enter into conversations with the Israelis, to begin to negotiate to protect your people, to secure rights of your people, and to partner with countries that will make the lives of your citizens better. That's ultimately, in the end, uh, what sovereign nations do, is they take decisions that are best interest in their people. I think both Israel and the United Arab Emirates did that last week. You know, I, uh, your former colleague in the cabinet, General Mattis, was my guest at the Nixon Library. He called the Emirates Little Sparta in his book and in his remarks. It's, I can't believe there are people in the Pentagon that, that are suspicious of this deal. I know you know the State Department, but I just can't believe the Pentagon uh, thinks other than the most highly than they can of the Emirates. Well, the senior leadership all across the United States government has been working on this for a long time. There's the State Department, the Department of Defense, the work the White House is doing. Um, we, we all have been working towards the president's vision for peace in the Middle East, and we think that this, the outcome that we got between those two countries is a really good one, and we think there's uh, more work that will uh, come to fruition yet this year, we hope. And when it does, uh, I'm very confident of this. All, all the work that's been done and all the sacrifice of our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines in the Middle East over these past decades – uh, will have borne out a good outcome for the American people. Now, when we talk about great power competition, are there really two groups lining up in the Middle East, Syria, Iran, and China, opposing the United States, Israel, the Emirates, and eventually Saudi Arabia, Oman, Bahrain, the rest? Well, I, I hope that's not the case, but it certainly does appear to be trending that way. Uh, look, we've... We've been we've been working diligently to f try to find a path forward uh, for Middle East peace, and now we have a model that is very different than what had been worked on for 40 years. There's a deep recognition that it is no longer the a challenge between the Palestinians and Israel that causes the instability. There's a recognition that the challenge comes from the Islamic Republic of Iran. You were right in the middle of a fight at the United Nations. The previous administration said after five years the Iranians can purchase weapon systems for the Chinese and the Russians, and they can sell weapon systems, creating wealth for the kleptocrats and the theocrats that run the Islamic Republic of Iran. On October 18th, uh, absent U.S. action, uh, they could do that again. We're, we're not going to let that happen. And you see, you see the support. The Gulf states all said, yes, uh, America, you're doing the right thing. Head down that path. And we saw other countries privately tell us, yep, this is the right thing to do. And yet the Russians and the Chinese have chosen a different path. They, they want to arm the Islamic Republic of Iran, threatening people throughout the Middle East and Europe. Let, let me uh, go back to a couple of China questions. I've never brought up the Galapagos Islands on the show yet until today. But yesterday I read a story that China is now threatening the most uh, environmentally fragile group of islands that I know of. Ecuadorian officials say 325 vessels are in their exclusive economic zone around the islands, and of those, 274 come from China. What are they doing? So you have the facts right. This is another example. So the Galapagos Islands, not exactly uh, the first island ring around China. Uh, the Galapagos Islands, this is, this is Chinese predatory economic activity and another significant violation 
of international law if we have the data set right. Uh, this is another example, whether it's in Africa and the predatory activities taking place in Africa. They, the, the, the Chinese Communist Party model today is to do what has been part of the Chinese history for a long time, to create vassal states, trib, tributary states that have to pay tribute to Beijing as the middle kingdom. This is There's a long history of this. It presents enormous risks to the world. And President Trump has recognized this presents a real risk to the United States of America. And in every front, whether it's diplomatic or economic, the United States is pushing back. We're no longer going to take a knee or turn the other cheek. We're going to demand that the Chinese Communist Party behave in the same way we demand every other country does. Are we going to back up Ecuador in this uh, conflict? Well, we've been working with them now for months to try and help them find a way through. But no, no one wants conflict there. Everyone wants a diplomatic resolution to this, and we've been working alongside them to help them achieve that. Okay, Mr. Secretary, China says they're making great progress on a vaccine. So does Russia. How are we going to trust either of these countries? And how are we going to trust the WHO when they all, well, the WHO just flubbed it, and China lied about the virus, and Russia, I don't know how we can trust them on anything. They're interfering with the election again. How can we possibly trust their claims on vaccines? He, when I spoke in Southern California that day with respect to China, Chinese Communist Party, I said distrust but verify. I think with respect to the vaccines that are coming out of these countries, uh, that's precisely the right model that we'll have to use. The whole world will have to take a good hard look and make sure that we have real scientific data in the same way we demand of anyone that puts forward a vaccine for sale and for distribution. Uh, my, my confidence level in the WHO is near zero in its capability to act in a science-based way and not a political way. And we've watched the Russians and the Chinese uh, hurry these uh, vaccines to market in an attempt to make not a medical breakthrough or an epidemiological breakthrough, but a political diplomatic breakthrough. That's not in the best interest of the world. If we get a vaccine out there that doesn't work, uh, that is that could create further devastation, uh, further loss of life. Uh, we saw the Chinese Communist Party cover up the virus that came from their country. I hope that they don't take actions that further put this world at risk. I want to switch to uh, the International Criminal Court. Uh, Secretary Pompeo, you and I are both lawyers. You know, uh, the ABA gets you early in law school and they teach you. The ABA are big fans of the ICC. But this week, the Trump administration, led by you, said we are not. In fact, you've sanctioned people. Would you explain for the Steelers fans in the audience why we do not like the International Criminal Court? It sounds like a good idea, but it's a really terrible idea. So this is an organization that is headquartered in The Hague that is a so-called court, um, but it is politically unaccountable. And more importantly, the United States has never agreed to participate in any of its proceedings. We've expressly said we're not going to be subject to its powers and authorities. It turns out to matter a lot because the ICC has now begun to investigate our soldiers, our sailors, our airmen and Marines who served in Afghanistan asserting that they potentially committed war crimes. And so you have an unaccountable political institution, a quasi-judicial institution, uh, potentially asserting claims where uh, uh, you're, you're, you've got kids in the military who could be traveling someplace someday, and they, they may well have been part of the Air Force and conducted activities in Afghanistan, and the International Criminal Court could go nab them and say, we're bringing you in. Uh, this is unacceptable. The uh, United States has opposed this for a long time, but we're the first administration that has actually told the ICC enough and so we've begun to directly challenge the ICC's capacity and authority to put Americans at risk. We didn't consent to their authority, and we're not going to permit them to put these kids in a place where a bad outcome could befall them. 
And my last question is about Belarus and Russia. Uh, what do you think is happening in Belarus? What is the United States' position on the fraudulent election there and what should happen next? So in Belarus, what's happening is happening in places like Lebanon and Iraq. People are standing up and saying, hey, we've just had enough. Uh, and so what I think you're seeing is people demanding that they, uh, they no longer be treated in the way that communist regimes uh, have treated people for so long. Uh, we've made very clear that this election was not a real election. It was fraudulent. It wasn't fair. And we have now begun to work with our EU partners to ensure that the, the things that these people have gone to the streets for, they've sacrificed themselves, that many have been put in jail, simply to demand the basic freedoms that every human being is entitled to by nature of their being created in the image of God. We want that for the Belarusian people, and we're going to achieve it. Final question, Mr. Secretary. You said both China and Russia are screwing around with our election. Are any of them quantitatively different? And is the State Department acting vis-a-vis both of them in the same way? So they are different. Their approaches are different. Uh, there's, no, there's no doubt about that. Um, but they are uh, equally intent on interfering and, and, and influence our election and our efforts are aimed at the precise modalities that they're using, trying to push back. And we've made clear to each of them it's unacceptable for them to engage in activities that undermine our democracy. Mr. Secretary, always good to talk to you. Thanks for making time. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. The Trump administration is proposing two major actions to add political balance to the stock market environment. First, Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia is reforming pensions, looking at what are called environmental social governance funds. They purport to be about better investing, but in reality, they are a clever way to advance a progressive ideology. Secretary Scalia wants to refocus pension funds so that they actually fund pensions and not pander to climate change activists. Second, the SEC is going after shareholder advisory services, where annual meetings include opaque votes on issues shareholders know nothing about. The bias, no surprise, is to the left. Now they'll be required to disclose their recommendations to public companies and publicize the company's responses. The new rules are a serious challenge to the dominance of progressive partisans in the world of finance. It's a welcome pushback from the Trump administration all Americans ought to support. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.